Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your blessing. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you for Sheila and her 90 years with us. Thank you for Pastor Gamal and the work we were able to join him in. Thank you for Lyndon and his uh, work with Gain. And thank you that we can jump into your word now. Lord, we do pray for hurting people around us. We think of the, the Miller family and Darlene and, and her family as they uh, mourn the loss of her sister and, and their aunt. Um, as the funeral was yesterday, we pray that you would continue to, to care for them. We know that there's so many hurting people around us um, that uh, we may not know about, but we lift to you. And more important, uh, or just as important, we pray for your hand at work in our, in our hearts, that you would, your spirit would be at work in us, that you would bring the word alive to us, that the words you want us to hear this morning from your word would melt and change and transform our hearts. Help us to be ready to respond as you want us to. In your name we pray. Amen. About 10 years or so ago, I gathered a group of courageous teenagers around uh, me for a trip to, uh, a road trip that was going to be a, a big adventure and a road trip where we were going to go down to Southern Oregon, first stop, and go into some lava tubes, some caves, and explore there then drive further down to central uh, California where we were going to rappel into this cave that was deeper than the Statue of Liberty is tall and just with our headlamps and, and go down and explore that cave, explore a couple other caves. And then we were driving further down to uh, Joshua Tree, which is southern California, and we were doing some rock climbing. And then we were going to almost hit the U.S.-Mexico border before turning around and stopping at uh, six Flags, and then uh, heading back. And it was great. All those things happened except Six Flags. Uh, it was rained out. We drove through a, a major rainstorm and kept driving for a, a lot of hours until we got to some, uh, some of the mountain passes in Oregon and Washington. And on one of those passes, there was a blizzard going on, and we were the last vehicle through before they shut down the roads. And we made it all back. And it was awesome. I, probably more fun for me than any of the kids that came with us. But um, it became apparent on that trip that some of the kids that signed up uh, probably didn't really know all that they had agreed to. Uh, they saw my excitement, they saw my enthusiasm, they signed up because they trusted me, they knew I would take care of them and, and do with my best to keep them safe. And, and we did. But I think a couple of them may not have committed to this whole thing if they knew everything that was going to happen. When we entered our first cave in southern Oregon, it was a lava tube, and we, we were going down this long tube, and uh, it was like we entered a, another world. We had our overalls on, we had our helmets on, our headlamps on. We were all excited, and we, and we 
go to a long ways down this tube until we got to this open area, and we turned off our headlamps and not a, not a drop of light. It was completely pitch black. Some of you who have maybe been in a cave have experienced that before, just the complete blackness. Well, we went further into the cave and there, we came to some spots where you had to squeeze tightly through, so you had to kind of turn sideways and make your way through. And then you had to get down on your hands and knees and go through. And we got to one point and I didn't realize that one of the kids was a little bit more claustrophobic than, than he had even known and than we had known and there was this anxiety building up in him. And uh, maybe I should have uh, paid more attention, but uh, it didn't come out until we had to go down on our, like, like a snake and slither through this one section. And then it just came out. We all knew, okay, yeah, he's really struggling here. So we decided we better uh, head back to the light. Have you ever followed somebody into a situation that you, you weren't really prepared for? My wife had a similar experience. Um, she went on a two-month mission trip when she was in high school uh, down to Ecuador. And this was just an experience that, that she was able to have. And on that trip, there was lots of things that she was able to do and experience and help that she was able to provide. But uh, there was one time when they were traveling through the jungle and um, to get somewhere, and there, was, there, there came to a point where there was two options. You could either go up over a ridge or down through a cave. And they both ended in the same place, so they divided up. They had a couple leaders, and they said, okay, we're gonna go over the ridge. We're gonna go under. Which group do you want to be a part of? So my wife thought, well, there's a lot of places where I'll be able to go up and over the ridge. Not many where I'll be able to go under through a cave. So she decided I'm gonna go in the caving group. It, and she didn't know all she was getting into. Uh, and part of it was getting on your hands and knees and crawling for a, a number of meters before getting through to a bigger area. And that wasn't a big deal for her until the leader turned around and said, shh, be quiet. If you make any sudden movements or loud noises, these bats that are right, ahead, right above you uh, might wake up. At that point, she started to realize, oh my goodness, what's going on here? And started to imagine the bats in her hair and all these bats going around, and not to mention that they were crawling through bat guano. So Cheryl, my wife, like that poor guy in my story, they had followed a leader into a situation that they weren't quite ready for. Today's passage is about who you choose to follow. And we all follow someone some of us may think, oh, we just follow ourselves. But even if we follow just ourselves, we're influenced by the culture around us, so we're not really following our, uh, just ourselves. Uh, some of us say, oh, I just go with the flow. Well, then you're really following whatever is happening around you. You're not leading or following anybody in particular, but just everything. We all follow someone. We all follow something whether uh, we think we're following just our own ideas, whether we're following our dreams, whether we're following the money, whether we're following a celebrity or a parent or a teacher or a coach or a, an adventure guide or a pastor or Jesus. We're all following someone. And today's passage is all about who you choose to follow. 
We'll be looking at Mark 10, 17 through 31. Last week we looked at the passage that comes right before this, and in that one, Jesus was adamant that the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these as he's gathering the children around him. And so this visual demonstration, a child of the weak, the poor, the powerless, and the vulnerable. And he explained and illustrated that the only way to come into the kingdom of God is to come to Jesus. And we come with empty hands, realizing that we have nothing to offer. We have no way to earn it. We come because he loves us and he welcomes us not because of anything we have done or can do or anything special about us. Today, we see a specific example of someone trying to earn their way in and what the cost of entering that kingdom entails, who you choose to follow. So let's read Mark 10, 17 through 31. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is one of the saddest stories in Mark. This man who desperately wants to be a part of the kingdom of God because only in God's kingdom do you have eternal life. This man, he's religious, he's devout, he's willing to uh, tarnish his reputation, to run to Jesus, fall to his knees and ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Even though he has great wealth, even though he, he knows what the Jewish Religious leaders of the day would say, keep the commandments, and he feels he's done that. He knows somehow he's missing something. And so he comes to Jesus, and Jesus, he looks at this man. He really sees this man, and he loves him. He deeply loves him. 
And in his perfect, deep, all-knowing love, Jesus tells the man what he's missing and that he has a choice. He's missing Jesus so he can choose his worldly wealth or he can choose Jesus. He can follow his worldly wealth or he can follow Jesus. He can give his complete hope and everything to his wealth or to Jesus. And this man, he's so caught up in his worldly wealth, he can't imagine what it would be like without it. And instead of recognizing the beauty, the richness, the love of Jesus, he walks away, keeping his worldly wealth. And he's sad, and it's a sad story. In the passage just before this, Jesus has welcomed little children into his arms. He said that that these, the ones who represent the lowest of the low, is, is what the kingdom is all about. Theirs is the kingdom. They have no worldly wealth. They have nothing to offer. And Jesus says that's, theirs is the kingdom. So this story stands in stark contrast to the previous story because in this story, there's a man who has everything the world has to offer and he's the one that's missing something. So, Let's start at the beginning of this passage. This man, we're not told that he has great worldly wealth because we're supposed to identify with him wherever we are until later we learn. But he has great worldly wealth. He runs up to Jesus. He falls on his knees before him. And these are all the actions of a desperate person. This man, he he wasn't just intrigued by Jesus. He wasn't just curious about Jesus. He was desperate, somewhat desperate, and he was determined to come to Jesus to ask this question. And he addresses Jesus not as just a teacher, but as a good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Theologians and commentators have, have wondered why Jesus would respond the way he does when he says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. As I've studied this and thought about it, uh, prayed, prayed through it, I, I, think, I think Jesus is genuinely asking the man, do you truly believe what you're saying? Do you really understand what you're asking? Do you really believe that I am good? Have you really thought about what you are calling me? We know Jesus is really concerned about what people think of him. It's the question that's Behind us, who do you say I am? It's the question that Mark kept coming up with again and or bringing before his readers again and again in the first eight chapters of the book. Who do you say Jesus is? It's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? Because who we say he is matters. And so I think he's coming to this man and saying, who do you say I am? Do you really think I'm the good teacher because in Jewish thought, only God was truly good. So Jesus is making sure this man knows what he's saying. If you're calling me good, do you believe I'm God? Do you really believe that I'm the one who can truly answer your question? And then if you do, are you going to take it to heart? Are you going to really accept it, believe it, and follow what I tell you? And then Jesus answers the man as any typical rabbi would. The man asks, what must he do? And Jesus says, if you're looking for what you should do, you know the commandments. And he lists the the last six of the 10 commandments, the ones that have to do with personal relationships with each other. I think he doesn't focus in on the first four because he's going to get to that in a little bit, the, the, the deeper heart. But he's saying, 
Are you keeping the commandments? Um, and so he lists the last six. And interestingly, he changes one of the commands. The last commandment is do not covet. And Jesus says do not defraud. Why would he change that command? I've wrestled with this question. I'm not sure exactly why Jesus would change that, but I wonder if it's because from the outside, the other five can be sort of, they're tangible. You know if you steal. You know if you commit adultery. You know if you lie. You even know if you're not honoring your father and mother, but covet, that's, that's not so tangible. It's something in our heart. It's something that you, you, you want something that someone else has. I think defrauding is kind of the result of coveting. Defrauding is, is getting something from someone through deception, so it's kind of a natural result of coveting, likely. The coveting would lead to this. So this man, he's walking up to Jesus and asking what he must do. He's so used to doing things to earn his way, to earn what he has, so he, he wants to make sure that he's done what is needed to inherit eternal life. And Jesus sort of plays along. He's like, so you want to earn your way? Well, you have the law. Here it is. Here's the tangible ways you can keep it. You can answer yourself whether you're keeping it or not. And the man, he says, yeah, I have. I've done this all since I was a boy. I've kept the letter of the law. He's made sure that from the outside he looks perfect. But he still feels, he still knows deep down that he's missing something. And now Jesus is ready he set the stage to reveal the heart of the law, the true intentions, what it's all about. See, the law isn't just about going through the motions. It isn't about doing all the right things. It's not just about the observable uh, things from the outside that we can see. It's about what's in our heart. It's about the deepest intentions. That's why later in Mark 12, 30, Jesus can sum up the Ten Commandments with two. And it starts with love. It says the greatest commandment is to love God. The second is to love people. He also talks about true intentions more, more deeply in Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. The only way to keep the law is to start with love. The love of God. And verse 21 is so beautiful because Jesus is living out exactly what he is teaching. He looks at the man and he loves him. He really sees the man, everything about him, and he loves him. Everything that Jesus is teaching, his whole interaction with the man has been done in love, and he looks at the man and he loves him. And out of love, Jesus doesn't mince words, he doesn't lessen the requirement, he gets right to the core of the man's needs. The man knows he's missing something and Jesus tells him what it is. He says, go sell everything and give to the poor and then come follow me. Because Jesus knows that what the man is missing is what's at the heart, the center, the right savior, the right leader of his life. The man's savior was his wealth. The man was depending on his wealth. He couldn't imagine life without his wealth. Wealth was his God. Wealth was his savior. Wealth was his leader. And Jesus reveals the man, his heart, by telling him, you need to give that up. 
Jesus is trying not to, he's not trying to hurt the man, he's not trying to hinder man, the man, he's not trying to make the man turn away. He loves the man and he loves him so much that he's willing to tell him what he truly needs. Jesus knows that the man won't be able to follow him if he's still committed to his wealth. That's gonna get in the way because to follow Jesus is to trust him completely, to give everything to him, to be willing to rely on nothing else. Jesus never hides what following him is all about. He, he doesn't say it's a magic formula, pray this simple prayer and everything's done. It's more than that. That, yes, we do start with a prayer, but it's, it has to be a prayer that we really, really, really understand and believe. He says that to follow Jesus means to accept what he has done for us and be willing to reorient our lives around the king, around Jesus, to trust him completely and rely on nothing else. So the man gets his answer. He knows now that what he needs to do for eternal life, it's, it's not what he does. It's not about earning something or paying for something, but it's about giving up what he's dependent on for so long and putting his faith in a new leader, a leader that is standing there seeing him as no one else does and loving him. And as strong as he, he desires to enter that love, he can't get over his wealth. It's in the way and, and, and he can't imagine life without it and so he walks away extremely sad. And the disciples, they see all this and they're, 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 they're amazed and astonished because Jesus then tells them how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. In fact, it's so hard to enter the kingdom of God that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they take all this in and they look around at, at each other and they ask what we all should be asking. Who then can be saved? How do we do that? They understand the lesson. They recognize that following Jesus is not about tacking something else onto our lives. It's not about having him just join whatever else we're about. And it's, it's instead committing to a new leader, being willing to give up absolutely everything that gets in the way. And Jesus, he looks at them when, he, when they ask that question with the same loving eyes, he sees them and he loves them. And this is such a wonderful thing that he says. He says, with man this is impossible. You can't do it. But with God, but not with God, all things are possible with God. So basically he's saying it's not about what you do. It's about what I am doing. It's about what I'm preparing to do for you as I go to the cross. It's about what I will do for you, what I will do in you if you are willing to let me. The rich man was looking for what he needed to do. Jesus told him, you can't earn your way. You can't pay for this. You have to give up trusting your own ability. Whatever you've earned, whatever you've achieved, that you're trusting in. 
but it was too much for the man. Instead of walking away, he should have asked, Jesus, how do I do this? He should have asked Jesus, how do I do this? How do I give it up? I don't know how. But instead, he walks away. And Peter speaks up and he says, we've left everything and everyone to follow you. And Jesus says that anyone who's given up what's most important to them, whatever or whoever you're putting your trust in, whatever or whoever you're following, whoever has recognized Jesus as their true leader, if they're willing to give their allegiance to him, their trust, their dependence, their hope, everything to him, to let him be their one and only true leader, then they will gain as much and more in the kingdom of God, multitudes more, both now and in the age to come. For some of us, wealth may not be what we're depending on. It may be a relationship. It may be an idea that we're depending on or hoping for. It may be a dream that we're pursuing. We may be depending on our own abilities or we may be depending on a change in the market or a change in the government. What's the one thing that could cause you to walk away if Jesus asked you to give it up? For many of us, it might be wealth, but it could be an addiction or a disappointment, or it could be a relationship. And don't get me wrong, he's not saying to drop your spouse and, and, and go. That's not what, it, he's, he's saying, are you depending on that person because you don't depend on that person you depend on me i think if you're depending on the spouse he's going to come in and and reorient and reorient reorient your view your your relationship and 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 have you begin serving and loving for the other person he's going to reorient you if you're ready and he's saying are you willing to give up depending on whatever it is So the challenge for us today, and believe me, this has been very challenging for me personally as I've been working through it and pondering and thinking about it. Our challenge is to ask ourselves how we are like this rich man. Who is or what is really truly leading your life? What are you putting your complete hope and dependence on? Because that's the one thing that Jesus is gonna ask you to give up because it's getting in the way. He knows that that's the one thing that will cause you not to trust him. And Jesus loves you too much to let you trust in something that's not dependable. He's the only one that is totally dependable. He's the only thing, the only person, the only leader that we can fully count on no matter what because he loves you enough to empty himself. See, Jesus is the true rich man. Philippians 2 tells us that he he is and he always has been God. Yet he gave up his wealth, he humbled himself, he emptied himself and took on human form. He became the least. He took the mocking, the rejection, the torture of humans who he came to save as they threw it at him, and he took it all upon himself 
for you and for me. He loves you with a love you will not find anywhere else because it's infinite and overcomes all obstacles. But he doesn't force it on us. He lets us walk away like that man. I sure hope that man came back later because he gives us a choice. And he offers this to you. He offers his love. He offers entrance to the kingdom. He offers to be able to turn around your heart towards him because he knows you can't do it. But are you willing? All you have to be willing is to, uh, all you have to do is to be willing to let him do what you can't. Rearrange your life all around him. This is impossible for us to do, and it sounds overwhelming, but it's something he will do in you if you're willing. And there's such joy in that and peace. So the invitation this morning is to give him everything, and especially that one thing. Ask him to help you to be ready. Ask him to help you give it up. And if you even just have a hint of being ready, but you're not even ready to be ready, ask him to help you be ready. Start where you are and let him start working you. But be willing and let him become your one and only true leader. Let's pray. Jesus, you amaze us more and more and more as we get to know you. Thank you for all that you have done for us. We can't even begin to imagine at all what you went through because you loved us so much. Help us to be willing to give up the little that we have for you. Compared to what you gave up for us is so, so little. Help us to accept your infinite love that you freely offer us. And we don't have to earn it. We just have to accept it. Break through our stubbornness. Break through our pride. Help us be willing to give it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.